morning. God, I thank you so very much that you didn't leave us to just live by our own thoughts. We're not very good at that. I thank you that you have spoken to us and that you revealed yourself to us through your son, Jesus Christ, that this day you speak to us through the Holy Spirit. We thank you for that and we ask for help as we turn to the scripture. Help us understand what we read and help us to be changed by it. I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to turn to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. We'll put one in your hands. We have extras. Yeah. So we can get, uh, somebody can help me out. Um, and grab a couple Bibles off the table there. We'll just be glad to pass those out. We're going to go to Acts chapter 4. It's page number 886 for me. Oh, it doesn't help you? Oh, okay. Uh, so in your Bible, it goes uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Okay, we're going to go to Acts chapter 4. And uh, before we turn there, I'm just going to give us a little bit of uh, context to what we're going to talk about today. In recent weeks, we went through the transition from the end of the Gospel of Luke and into Acts, Acts chapter 1, 2, and 3. We have done uh, those chapters of the Bible in recent weeks, and you can listen to those on our website, cityharborchurch.com, or iTunes, Stitcher, whatever podcast app you're using. Uh, but I want to just kind of talk a little bit about... I like Stitcher. It's good. It's an app you can use on your phone. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we, as Obafemi led us in uh, communion today, uh, I want to remind us of the context of what we're talking about. Jesus came, the Messiah, the one that had been prophesied about, and he came saying, the kingdom of God is now. And those important words, he came saying, repent, turn around from living to please yourself, turn to God because new life is available. He came saying, I came to fulfill the law and the prophets, the Old Testament that we have, and to set about a new covenant, an opportunity for us to be forgiven of our sins, Jew or Gentile, forgiven of our sins, made clean, made new. And this was life-changing, life-altering stuff. And so people, men and women, began to follow him, listen to him, saw him perform miracles, do miraculous things, and confirmed that what he was saying was true. And they were there in the city together, saw him wrongfully accused, put to death, as had been prophesied. Scores of prophecies fulfilled in just 24 hours. And on the third day, come back to life. And walk among them, talk with them, show himself to them for over a month before returning to the Father in the heavenlies. They saw this, they heard this, and and the context that we have in recent weeks gone through, then after that, they responded to the words of Christ. And he said, when he was asked, what's the most important thing in all the law and the prophets, the Old Testament that he have, he says, love God with all you've got. And love others in the same way that you take care of yourself. And then before he left, he gave them a mission. He said, go, urge as many people as possible, people of all ethnicities, to be my followers. And this is how they responded. And he had told them to wait for the Holy Spirit. He had prepared them about God, the Holy Spirit, how God, the Holy Spirit would function, what that would look like. He told them to wait, to not go on the mission until that happened. And that's what we read about recently in Acts chapter two. They had a visitation of the Holy Spirit that was an obvious, 
unmistakable event that occurred. And then we read in Acts chapter 2 as their response as people were asking, what is going on? Peter, a fisherman, not a scholar, not a religious leader, Peter stood and quoted the scriptures and revealed Jesus as Messiah and unpacked the purpose and talked about repenting of your sin and making a public decision of your faith and water baptism and receiving the power of the Holy Spirit, receiving life change and Thousands of people turned to follow Jesus in that day. And what was what followed that? Well, what followed that was in Acts chapter 3. We read about the miracle of the man who had been lame, unable to walk, unable to get up and go where he wanted to go and do what he wanted to do. Peter's, they're walking in to join the Jewish prayer service, to join the worship of Yahweh, right, in a, in a big group setting. They're walking in and they see this man unable to walk. He asks them for money. He says, hey, I don't have money, but what I have, I will give you. In the name of Jesus, stand and walk. A miracle occurs and everybody, what's going on? And then this is what follows immediately after that story. We In recent weeks, we talked about how Peter talked about times of refreshing will come on your confession of faith in Jesus as your Savior. So we're picking up Acts chapter 4, reading from the New Living. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priests. The captain of the temple guard, that's somebody with a sword. And some of the Sadducees. Sadducees didn't believe in resurrection from the dead, that's why they were sad, you see. These, it's one of those seminary jokes. You notice Ben didn't even laugh. It's true though, right? That's true. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Verse two. I didn't even get through one verse. Come on. Discipline. Okay. These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus, there is a resurrection of the dead. They arrested them. And since it was already evening, put them in jail until morning. But many of the people who heard their message believed it. So the number of believers now totaled about 5,000 men, not counting the women and children. So the church is doubled. The next day, the council of all the rulers and elders and teachers of religious law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there uh, along with Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and other relatives of the high priest. They brought in the two disciples and demanded, By what power or in whose name have you done this? Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures when it says the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone peter continues there is salvation in no one else god has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of peter and john for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing right there among them, there was nothing the council could say. So they ordered Peter and John out of the council chamber and conferred among themselves. 
What should we do with these men? They asked each other. We can't deny that they performed a miraculous sign and everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. But to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. So they called the apostles back in and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. The council then threatened them further. And they, but they finally let them go because they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot. For everyone was praising God for this miraculous sign, the healing of a man who had been lame for more than 40 years. As soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them the leading priests and elders had said. When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. O sovereign God, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. You spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, Why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. In fact, this happened here in this very city. For Herod Antipas and Pontius Pilate, the governor and the Gentiles and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy among them, because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. For instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. So, I'd like for us in the next few minutes to just unpack this chapter, because I believe that this book that Dr. Luke carefully recorded of facts of of what occurred for us, this historical account, which to this day we still in, in the human race have multiple copies that date back to this era, um, and, and no, nothing scientific or historical that can dispute the facts of this case any more than we can dispute that President John F. Kennedy was shot and killed. We have this historical account of what happened, and I want to go on the record to say that I think that it is both descriptive of what occurred for our benefit and prescriptive of how we should live. These are ordinary people responding to the supernatural grace of God through Jesus. Now, I want to take away just five simple truths from this chapter that I think are relevant to us today. Regardless of what state you're in when you come in today, exhausted, tired, happy, depressed, anxious, inordinately confused and fixated on current events or politics or anything else, 
or in a great and peaceful place, in whatever state you're in today, this chapter is relevant. Are you with me? So we're going to just five simple truths that we can look at. This is plain, simple stuff that we can lift from the chapter, walk away from, ask ourselves some questions, and do something about. Are you ready? Okay. Now, first and foremost, I'm going to give you a title that's going to be a little confusing. Miracle or Magic? And I'm going to talk about that and what that means in just a minute. But the miracle that we have, what I love about the Bible is that even though not everything is always explained, there are many times where things that are mysterious are explained explicitly if we will read the whole story. And this is one of those cases. We have a miracle here that's not magic. It's a miracle. Okay? Now, first of all, one thing that is explicit in the account is that Jesus should be our focus. It's explicit. You can't, you can't read the account, um, the Gospel of Luke and then the book of Acts to this point in these first four chapters and not come away with the fact that Jesus should be our focus. What the, the, the religious leaders are ticked off about is that they're teaching and doing this miracle in the name of Jesus. They're not upset that a miracle had occurred. Right? They're ticked off that the miracle occurred and was accredited in the powerful name of Jesus. That's a problem. Are you with me? And not just because it was in the name of Jesus, because it was they were using in the, 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 the Greek usage of the Hebrew term, Yeshua Yamashiach, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the sent one, Jesus the one who had been prophesied. And you notice, and Peter goes straight to the Psalms, even in a relevant, like, you are rejecting him, you rejected him, here I have a Psalm. He quotes the Psalm, he would be the one that the builders rejected. Very, very important text that's used to point to Jesus, our Savior. That's explicit in the text. So I know it's Sunday morning. Jesus is always the answer, right? (laughs) What time is it? Jesus is the answer. When do we leave? Jesus is the answer. What are we eating for lunch? Jesus, I don't know, right? Jesus should be our focus. That's where we start. Jesus, our Messiah. Second, We can ask God for miracles in the name of Jesus. Now, I personally love Andrew Murray Classic. You can get it for a dollar in an ebook reader or free in other places. With Christ in the School of Prayer. I highly recommend it because he goes right at some of the things that Jesus says that seem contradictory to our human experience. Jesus says, ask and it will be given. Great little book. I highly recommend With Christ in the School of Prayer by Andrew Murray. But I want to talk about this because what we have explicit in this story is you notice that when the the man who can't walk asks them a question, they don't, excuse me just a moment, I need to go over here and pray and find out. Right? They don't stop to ask permission to lead out in a prayer for a miracle. They just do it. We can ask God for miracles in the name of Jesus, right? We have permission to do that. We see in verses 14 and verse 16 of this chapter that God's miracles are irrefutable. They are recognizable. They are unmistakable as it can't be anything but, right? It can't be anything but. Now, I want to just let, let me talk about miracle versus magic, okay? Just as kind of an illustration and, and a question. 
So obviously use kind of a funny picture, a little magic top hat, pop culture understanding of magic. When God does a miracle, God does a miracle on purpose. Let me say that again. When God does a miracle, God does a miracle on purpose. Now, if we're not careful, we can get caught up in a mysticism or a less than mature relationship with God's miracles. Now, I don't want to get away from, Jesus says, let the children come unto me. Jesus lifts up as an example a childlike faith, right? And when we first come in our relationship with God, we come with selfishness, we come with immaturity. As we grow closer to God, as we've talked about earlier this year in our series on Love Gives and what it means for us to be a safe place to find and follow Jesus, we we learn that God's love for us is faithful, it's patient, it's kind, and it's selfless. And as we come into a relationship with God, it's transformative, and we start to grow, and we should start to become more faithful, patient, kind, and selfless. Now, let's come back. Miracle or magic? When I relate to God, where give me now what I want, how I want, when I want, so that I can feel special about me, that's relating to God like a genie in a lamp and treating the supernatural like magic. And we see an example in Acts chapter 8 of Simon the magician that comes to them and offers to pay to have the ability to perform miracles the way that they are. It's not mature. I think that God forgives, God overlooks. But as we grow and as we turn to the scripture, I think it compels us to grow into not relating to God like a magician, like a genie in a lamp, where I want something powerful to happen, what I want, when I want, how I want, so that I can feel special. So that I can get the glory, so that I can get the credit, so that people will look at me. Are you with me? Now, that's not a proper motive, right? Now, there's great, easy, quick forgiveness. So it's easy even now, here in this moment, if you feel guilty about anything, God, please forgive me. God's forgiveness comes. Be quick to receive the forgiveness of God. It's complete, right? But we need to have a mature understanding that we can ask for miracles in the name of Jesus. And from the book, With Christ in the School of Prayer by Andrew Murray, we learn there are other passages in the Bible about what happens when we don't get the answer to prayer and why that might be. And the Bible has some explicit reasons for that. One of which is when we're asking for things out of alignment with God's will, not submitted to God's will first. Now, just to be clear, I'm not for praying really passive prayers. We all have different styles. That's that's fine and good. You don't need to pray like me. Uh, we, we shouldn't be imitating each other. We should be imitating Christ. But I don't think it's, God, will you do this if it's your will? We need to be really careful when we pray those words if what we're really doing is just not believing. Now, it's okay to ask God to believe when you are struggling to believe. I do that all the time when I pray for you. Right? That's an okay thing to do. God, help me in my unbelief. The disciples, they said that. They prayed that. So God, help me in my unbelief. And God, will you do this according to your will now? That's okay. In the name of Jesus. Because it's grounded in, its foundation is in, I am able to have a relationship with God because Jesus is my Savior. 
Jesus is my Lord. That's what mature Christianity, that's what growing up looks like. I come to him with a childlike faith because he has adopted me. He has adopted me as his own, even though he created me, right? My sin separated myself from him, but then through Jesus, he has adopted me. And now as his child, I say, daddy, come in the name of Jesus. That's what that means. Is that helpful? Does that make sense? Okay, the rest of you, it's all right. We'll, we'll take, let me just expand on this just a little bit. So several years back, my father had a heart attack and, um, when he did, the office where I was working happened to be closer to the hospital they were taking him to than where he was coming from. So I got to his hospital room first, which was weird. I came and there was an empty bed and that was a little bit disconcerting. Uh, and so I was walking the hallways and, and, um, they had this display case in the hallway of all these little tiny um, mechanical things that are a part of the history of the innovation of heart surgery. Little mechanical things that are part of the innovation of the history of heart surgery. And so I started to learn a little bit more about heart surgery. Um, one of the things that you can have done in heart surgery is you have valves in your heart. You see over here the pulmonary valve, the mitral valve, tricuspid valve, and the aortic valve. You have valves in your heart, and sometimes uh, through genetic defect or disease or whatnot, they're not functioning properly. And what what can happen is you can have, uh, this is from the American Heart Association, a picture of a mechanical valve that can be put in your heart to help your heart work properly. Now, um, we learned a little bit about this because of Portland heart surgeon, Dr. Albert Starr, Portland, the city where I was in that hospital looking at these things, and an engineer, Lowell Edwards, developed the first mechanical heart valve replacement. A lot of people know about Dr. Huffnagel because he worked on uh, President Nixon, but these were the guys that were the first ones that did the mechanical heart valve. Why am I talking about this? <laughs> I'm so glad you asked. Um <clears throat> In this example of the invention of a mechanical part to replace a faulty heart valve, the, what they're trying to do is to cause the heart to function normally. That will allow your heart to pump blood, carrying oxygen and other helpful things throughout your body. The purpose of this is to make your life possible. Now, when these people, this team invented this valve, they were trying to get that valve, the opening and closing, to work right. Right? They're trying to, your heart maybe is over here, mine's over here. They're trying to get that to work correctly. Right? So that the blood could flow, so that you could live. When God does a miracle, there is a finite purpose and an infinite purpose. There is a, yes, God wants to heal that body part, that pattern of thinking, that emotion. God wants to heal that disease. God wants to remove that infection. Yes, that's a part of his purpose, but he also has an infinite purpose in the miracle, just as he did with this healing this man who was unable to walk. And some of us in this room, we've shared our testimonies with each other, our stories. Some of us in this room are spiritually able to walk now, whereas not long ago we could not. Oh, this is getting good. Are you paying attention? There are miracles in this room. Some of us that are now able to function in a normal, healthy uh, way that's only dependent upon the Lord. Whereas before we were shipwrecked, we were completely dependent upon others. We were self-destructive. 
God can do a miracle inside of you that heals something that has a finite, a specific, detailed purpose. And in that miracle, there is an infinite, sovereign God, perfect will of God that is also at work, just as it was with this man who was unable to walk on his own, unable to earn a living, unable to do things that maybe he was designed to do. And God does a miracle in that moment for him and has a purpose for his life. But also, what do we see? God gets the glory glory by a miracle done in the name of Jesus and others are drawn to him. Others are given, whether they choose, chose to respond in salvation or not, they were given a grace, a moment of good that they did not deserve. They were given an opportunity to look to God who made a way through Jesus for us to have salvation. It's important when we pray for miracles that we're not treating God like a magician, but who God really is. And calling down a miracle that will be according to his purpose, that will have purpose beyond just that one thing in that moment. Right? We pray for Marissa's transition and job and church and those, those things have a purpose in that moment and have a purpose through her and her life and what happens beyond that for others for the benefit of others. God is never only focused on one person but for the good of all. When Jesus instructs us to pray, God, forgive me as I forgive others, there's a multiplication genius to that that benefits the whole world. Heard the story of a a man who grew up Muslim who converted to Christianity. He said, when Christians take their faith seriously, the world is a better place. When they take their faith casually, it is worse. Right? So God has a purpose in the miracle. Let's keep going. We just have a few minutes. Number three, we learn more about Jesus by studying the Bible. We really can't shortchange this truth. This is really important. Yes, you need to have contact with God and devotionally reading the Bible and being encouraged by a psalm here, something there. Go to the fast food section of the Bible. We've got to learn. We've got to start there. But at some point, every single one of us has a responsibility before God to study the Bible. What we see in these stories is an immediate, quick quoting of the word that reveals who Jesus is. Jesus can be found in every book of the Bible. There is the redemptive purpose of God in every book of the Bible. It's summer, Pastor Ben. Why are you talking? I owe it to you, right? We got a response. You can learn more about Jesus. You can have answers tomorrow that you did not have yesterday if you will take the time to study the Bible about the best stuff in your life. Jesus. And what that means. It said they saw that they were ordinary people. That they didn't have special education in the Scriptures. And yet, the scriptures that they quoted about Jesus had a transformative effect in that room. Are you with me? We can learn more about Jesus that will bring change into rooms where we are being threatened. If we will study the Bible about Jesus. That's why we have the purple book out there, a list of questions. We look up the answers in the Bible. Number four, we can ask God for boldness to talk about Jesus, our Savior. It's okay. I don't know that there is anyone in this room or in this church 
that hasn't ever had a moment of feeling embarrassed or shy or timid or fearful or maybe even too proud. Uh, Everyone in this room at some point has needed a little help to have the courage to talk to somebody else about Jesus. And culturally, where we're at on the whole, right now, it's not popular to talk about Jesus, my Savior. But that's what they did here when they were being threatened with weapons and imprisonment. And what did they do after the victory? They continued to ask God for boldness, even after the victory, after they had been released. And in a human perspective, they won the day. But what did they do? They, they got together and they prayed and they said, God, give us the boldness to speak the good news. It's okay to ask. Aren't you glad for that? Number five, what we see at the end of the chapter, unity and courageous generosity should be the result of this life. There's benefits from this. If we will live life this way, all of us, not the people that are the experts, we can tell by the way they talk, they're the experts. No, the everyday people, regardless of education, regardless of culture, regardless of background, regardless of gender, regardless of age, regardless of bad habits, if everybody can come to Jesus as Savior, ask God for miracles in the name of Jesus, learn more about who Jesus is by studying the Bible. And I passed over also a really important thing in these chapters is that we see they understood the relationship between the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They In each chapter, they talk about it. They unpack it. And then quote the scripture from which they got the help. Right? This relationship between the Trinity and the scripture, it's in there. It's important. And what do we see? That between the believers, there was a unity that was unmistakable. And at this point, we've already, we have a mixed ethnicity. People that from cultural outsiders would say they shouldn't be hanging out together. We see a unity and then a courageous generosity. People are selling their stuff to help each other. They're making, they're realizing that they have time, energy, and money, the three resources that all humans have that will come to an end in some way, shape, or form when Jesus returns and we go to heaven, right? And they're willing to sell stuff to pay each other's bills to make it possible. There is an outsider's noticed, wow, those people are together, they're on the same page, they like each other, and they love each other, and they're doing stuff with their money. Listen, if people are going to get weird or selfish or twisted, it's going to be about money. And you notice that we don't like taking, there's an offering box back there, but we're not getting weird about money in this church. But we believe in courageous generosity. Courageous generosity is when you look at your life and you say, you know what? I could choose to live on less. I could. I could choose to live on less and then take those resources and help somebody else. That's the result. In closing, a few questions for us to consider as we think about this chapter this week. What area is God asking me to work on this week? This is something you say to yourself. I said to myself, self, what area is God asking me to work on this week? Don't take on all five. What's the one? Are you with me? 
Second, what can I do to move in that direction? Think about, before you leave today, one step. What's the one area that we just highlighted that God's asking you to work on? What's the one thing you can do to move in that direction? Third, how can I encourage someone else in their journey? What's something positive, uplifting, encouraging? You can say to somebody else as we enjoy some coffee, tea, or something to drink here in a moment, that you can encourage them in their journey. And fourth, how should I ask God to be involved this week? You notice that in these stories, they always ask God for his involvement. They're not taken off trying to do it in their own strength or their own way. How can I ask God to be involved this week? Will you stand with me? Let's close in prayer. God, I thank you so very much for the scripture, for this historical account of people just like us that needed your help. I thank you that miracles are possible, that we can ask you for miracles. Thank you, God. Thank you that you've given us a way to respond to you in simplicity and live a life of purpose. Lord, I ask today that in this room there would be miracles of healing, that there would be forgiveness, that as a result there would be peace. Lord, that there would be a mercy and a grace. Lord, please don't punish us the way that we deserve and give us the good that we do not deserve because of Jesus. Help us, I ask today, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being here today. Grace and peace to you. Uh, Share a little bit of love with somebody next to you.